Hello, Bookstew viewers. I come to you today with a cold, and my guest, Lamar Giles, also has cold. So uh, if we hack away, sneeze, and cough during uh, this episode of Bookstew, hopefully we can edit it out. But if not, you'll sympathize with us. Uh, at least it's not coronavirus anyway, as far as we know. Um, so I'm well, so happy to welcome back. Now, this is his fourth time on the show, which makes him my most frequent guest, Lamar Giles. And this is because he keeps pumping out books and I keep enjoying them and they keep getting good press. And uh, so Lamar, welcome to Bookstew for the fourth time. Thank you for having me back, Eileen. It's, uh, we actually did uh, get to meet in person since the last time we talked on camera, which was very exciting. Um, I'll, put, I'll put up some pictures of that. And you were uh, touring, and you had a bus tour going. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that first? That was, we got to meet up in Cambridge. Um, why don't you tell yeah. our viewers about that, Lamar? Yeah, that was for the Versify launch, launch tour, which was the first four books coming from Kwame Alexander's new imprint. And the last, last day of summer, my first middle grade novel, was one of those four books that launched. And because we were with Kwame Alexander, who is a literary rock star, we had a rock star type tour bus taking us all up and down the East Coast to talk about these books. So um, Kwame, I'll put up some of uh, Kwame's books because they're, you know, like you say, he is, he is a rock star. But that must have been kind of fun to be in such close proximity to there were Oh, there was an illustrator too, and a, and a woman, uh, all like with great books. And you must have had quite a time hanging out together. Yeah, it was um, Raul III, um, Kip Wilson, Kadir Nelson joined us at one point, and it was it was almost like being on a mobile summer camp. Oh. Like you're you're spending this time with your friends in this really unique environment, and. It, it, we didn't have to sleep on the bus, thankfully. We got hotel rooms every night, but in transit, we had a great time. There were TVs on the bus. We played games. It was really fun. It was probably the most fun I've had as an adult professional going to work. So uh, this is something to think about for all you writers out there who are, are uh, ripping your hair out and going, oh, why do I keep doing this? This isn't going to come to anything. Um, the man on camera can tell you that it does come to something if you try hard enough, write well enough, and just have some little bursts of luck, because I think all of that is what makes for a successful author. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the most important thing is to always just keep writing, keep putting new work out. And you just never know what comes to you the more people see your work and hear your name, because... Kwame's offer to have me be part of his launch list just comes from him knowing my earlier work. And if you keep going, good things happen. Agreed. So speaking about good things, um, one of the best things lately for me was your brand new book, which is Not So Pure and Simple, and a little bit of a different direction. So what I'm going to do quickly is read the first couple of sentences in your acknowledgments, which I love reading acknowledgments because it's really where the author has a chance to not only say thank you, but to, I think, to let go of a little bit of what's, what's in his or her heart. So here you say, here we go again. It's always nice to see you here, but I got to admit, this gets harder every time. This is novel number six. 
you've probably seen this. This is a whole new direction for me. And when you're on your sixth novel, trying to do a bunch of different things, you require a lot of help. So tell um, the audience how this is a different direction for you, not so pure and simple. Well, all of my previous books have been either mystery novels or, in the case of The Last Last Day of Summer, uh, middle grade fantasy novel. Not so pure and simple would be classified as contemporary. Uh, to make the distinction between what that means with the other books, there's no murder mystery, there's no magic. These are just young kids living their lives, and I could not rely on many of the tricks that I've learned to use when writing in those other genres. Whenever things would slog in a mystery book, I could always have some sort of action scene. I could have another mm -hmm. body pop up. With the middle grade fantasy, when things get slow, I can bring in magic. With this, it's just these kids and their lives. Well, I guess I disagree about there not being magic because I think there was magic of a different sort in the book in that um, the kids seem so real. Um, everything that happens to them could happen to anybody. Um, it start, the book starts with something that everyone here in Massachusetts is familiar with. Uh, it's the, uh, the rumor of a pregnancy pact. And you know in Gloucester, Mass, we had that about 10 years ago with this rumor going around that, that girls in high school had all conspired to get pregnant at the same time, which of course turned out to be nonsense. So that's, that's the, the, the kernel of the beginning, and it certainly goes forth from there. But your character, Dell, who's, um, it's his point of view in the book, um, he's such a great mix of being grounded and just being like off the wall. So do you know Dell's? How, do how did you get Dell so well? Well, I like to say that Dell is an exaggeration, but he's not an over-exaggeration in that a lot of what Dell thinks and feels are things I thought and felt at his age. Um, certainly, I dropped it into a more modern context, and there's thematic stuff I'm trying to play with, but I don't think his thinking is very far from the things I was confused about when I was 15 or 16 years old. And so I kind of wanted to get into that because I don't think that changes a lot for young people, even as all our technology changes and everything around us gets different. I think those feelings tend to be the same. Well, I thought it was also interesting because in addition to the pregnancy pack, or, or running uh, against the pregnancy pack, banging up against it, is this purity pledge that Dell becomes part of. I think when we think of purity pledges, we usually think of girls, and we usually think of this, to me, weird thing with their fathers, where they pledge to their fathers that they're gonna be pure until they get married. You, ha you handled it from a boy's perspective, not to say that he didn't have an ulterior motive in joining, which is that, there was a girl he's been in love with forever, and he wanted to, he thought, you know, doing the purity pledge would get him close to her. So he was a little bit devious that way. But um, the end result and the, the idea of a boy doing this and other boys being involved, I thought was, was a fascinating take on the whole purity pledge thing. Well, I can't say that's anything I made up. If I can indulge you with a story of what really inspired that take, it happened about 10 years ago when me and my wife attended a church service and there were three young men sitting behind us. This was in the summer and it was the middle of the week. So it was like a Wednesday night service. These three boys didn't know us. It's a big church. And one of them starts to tell his friends the story of his mother catching him and his girlfriend having sex. 
And my wife and I are just enthralled by it. And like, we can't believe what we're hearing. And he goes through this whole story. I'm not, I'm going to make this short. When he gets to the end of it, his friends are sort of cheering him on and they're talking about their own experiences. And then a guy gets on stage. He's a deacon or something. And he says, all the kids who are in the purity pledge, get up and gather at the foyer to go to youth church for your lesson. And all three of these guys get up and go. Oh, no. And my wife and I joked about it so much. It felt like the ending of The Usual Suspects when you find out who the villain really is. It was like this twist ending. And the book is actually dedicated to my wife, Adrian. And it says, to Adrian, who was there the night of. Ah. And I'm referring to that incident. So um, I'm just trying to picture what these boys would think if I hope they get a chance to read this book. I hope so, too. I mean, like I said, that was 10 years ago. So these would they would easily be 25, 26 years old now. Um, I hope they've gone on to do good things and be respectful young men. It's just in that moment, I, I felt almost like a wolf in sheep's clothing, you know, <laughs> going into this class. I, and I don't know what anyone's motives were for going there, but it just seemed such a contrast to have that conversation and then go take lessons on purity. So was that so is that the first kernel of this book or was it yeah, or was it the pregnancy absolutely. pack no that that was the first kernel um the pregnancy pack thing and the sex ed thing came in much later when i was trying to figure out the exact things i was trying to say this book took a very long time to write like from 2014 up to 2019 wow. so i'm talking like a good five years of work and no other book has taken me that long um i worked on it in spurts there were a lot of false directions that I had to pull back. And so all the stuff you see there came over the course of many years of trying to mesh things together. It's well, I, so it's really been a labor of love. So did you ever put it aside and say, no, nah, I'm just I just can't do this? Um, not really. And the reason if I'm being 100 percent honest, the reason I even started down this path was because I went to grad school in 2014. I pursued my MFA in creative writing. And I'd already sold two mystery novels by then. So when I went to this writing program as the only student who had sold work, I wanted to challenge myself to write something very different from what I'd already been able to sell and publish. I didn't want to feel like I was coasting. And um, that's why I decided to go down a very different path. And because it was a school project, I could never let it go because I had to work on it semester by semester in order to graduate. So did you finish it and this was basically your, your MFA thesis? I did not finish it because the way the program worked, um, you could only write up to about 150 pages in order for the thesis committee to be able to actually get through your work and the other Everybody students. Everybody else's. So I wrote, yeah, so I wrote maybe a good third and ended up tossing some of that out as I began to work on it for my publisher because what the school requires can be quite different from what a publisher wants. So how did you introduce it to your publisher? Like how did, how did you let your publisher know? Now I know you've had different publishers too. So um, did you say this is, you know, you're gonna have to trust me on this because it's not a mystery and it's not a middle grade? No, that, not at all. What actually happened is this particular publisher, they had sort of cooled on the idea of me doing thrillers. Like they, they wanted something different. 
And because I was writing for several different publishers, it wasn't that big of a deal because I had a publisher who really likes me writing thrillers. And so when they said, hey, can you do something different? I was like, I got this idea I'm working on in school. What do you think? And when I told them about it, they were like, yeah, that's it. We'd love to see more of that. So now do you still have open doors for middle grade and thrillers? Because thrillers you've done three, four times. Middle grade is a new one. This is new. What's, um, can you juggle all of those things? I have juggled them and I think I can still. Um, it's each publisher tends to want a different thing from me. So they're happy that I can do multiple things. Like um, Scholastic is my publisher who really seems to love my thrillers. Um, they've done well. And so they're always like, hey, if you got an idea, we're happy to hear it. Um, Harper Collins publishes Not So Pure and Simple. And they seem to really be um, enamored with my contemporary work now. So it gives me opportunities to switch gears as necessary. So um, I usually ask this at the end, but now I'm curious. So um, what's, how many do you have in your head on paper of the next, what's going to happen next? Okay, so on paper, I finished the second book in the middle grade fantasy series. So the sequel to The Last, Last Day of Summer. Um, I just finished that. I'm thinking about book three in that series, and I'm also thinking of a potential contemporary to follow up, not so pure and simple. Oh, good, because I have to say, I like all of them, but this this just, it got to me, I think, also because um, your, your thrillers with female leads have always impressed, oops, impressed me. And I know I always, you know, I've asked you before, how difficult is is it for you to write from a woman's point of view? So I I consider you a feminist, and in this book, you have got some really great strong women in here. Who um, you've got a lot of women in here, and they're all different. And Dell sees them all differently at the, very much very differently at the beginning than he does at the end where they kind of yeah. seem to stay in the same place because they're already, uh, they already know what's going on with him, kind of. But he has to get to the point where, um, where he understands them, I guess. Oh, yeah. And I would say a lot of that came from back in 2017 when I'm still trying to figure this book out and I'm finishing up grad school. Um, the Me Too movement came into the forefront of the public consciousness. And as I was sitting there reading those stories and feeling horrified, not really having ever understood what women go through, usually at the hands of men, and I'm having conversations with the women in my life, my friends, my wife, the things the women told me that came up often were, they've always known this stuff. It's us guys who seem to be having this fog ripped away. And that being said, Maybe us guys need to talk to other guys about it because for some reason we tend not to want to listen to women when they express such things. And so Dell is sort of my experiment in how do I put a guy in the front who learns things and can pass that message on to other particularly young men. Um, my thinking being that this book can be fun and entertaining but also spark conversations with young men in particular to help them not do harm. Well, I thought it was very non-preachy. Like there was the possibility there um, for, and even your handling of the religious aspect. So I got, um, as I was reading it, I'm like, 
oh, this is going to happen with this person in church, and this is going to happen with, and none of it happened, and you took it in a, in a completely different direction. There's a pastor, in, a minister in here, who's kind of like a jerk at the beginning, and, you know, not only does Dell go through some stuff, but he does too, and I thought your portrayal of the minister um, was, it, it was very, I don't know how to, like you gave him room to learn. You didn't make him be a jerk through the whole book, you know? Well, it was important to me to not necessarily tear down anyone's particular experience because I don't think that's a really effective way to help people change if they want to. Um, I was in a conversation with my friend Meg Medina about the book, and she talked about how there are people who see the pastor in the book as a good person, but there's things he does that most of us may not recognize as good. And I think like to some people, there are folks who are heroes to some and monsters to others. And I think it's worth examining why people think that way and let them make their own decision on how they're going to judge. Absolutely. And I tried to really get that across. And I think you, I, I can't really even think of a cliche that was in here. I think you managed to avoid like so many tropes that trip up everybody, you know, a lot of other writers. That's what made this so, so kind of fresh to me that uh, characters went off in directions that I really didn't expect them to do. And because in my head I had all these, oh yeah, so this is going to happen, so that's going to happen. You didn't go to any of those places. And that's another thing that made this so enjoyable for me that you, I mean, you went to different places than I would have expected in what would still be considered a YA novel, but I think would be valuable for every adult to read. Well, thank you. I thank you. I worked really hard to try to avoid the most obvious solutions. And that, that's another reason it took so long to write. Well, that's, see, maybe that's where you're being a mystery writer contributed to this book or write, someone who can write mysteries and thrillers because you have to go down different paths and not have the reader go, oh, yeah, I, I figured that out 10, min you know, 10 pages into the book. Well, I'll tell you a little trick that I think helped. I try to think of this book in terms of the movies I grew up watching, particularly the John Hughes romantic comedies that were out in the 80s, um, like Pretty in Pink and... Um, Breakfast Club. Uh, Breakfast Club, Weird Science, all of those. And I try to think about, if you go back and watch those movies now, they're pretty much universally horrible in terms of modern context of how particularly men treat women. And so having those as a template, like I, I was able to think about like if I was doing plots like that today, how would I make them more palatable? And that gave me a lot of solutions that ended up wrapping up the book. Okay, so that makes me really, really, really wish that someone would go back and do those movies over again yeah. Set them in that same time zone, but have people do what they should have done. And Breakfast Club, I mean, I was a little older when it came out, but, you know, I can remember how much I admired the men and the women were just like, Ugh. you know, there were just no good female characters. I think maybe ones like Sixteen Candles, where it focused on a woman, were a little better. But Breakfast Club was the most memorable to me of those. Oh, and St. Elmo's Fire, where, you know, again, all the women were like kind of slutty. And so that's, that's a great way to, do, to think of writing a book as kind of the anti-John Hughes. Even though, for, I guess for that moment when you look at it, like, 
we all really enjoyed them when they were out, but it's interesting to look back on it now. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and I don't, I, and I don't want to pile on John Hughes because he's not here to defend himself. I, <laughs> but I think about the article that Molly Ringwald wrote for maybe it was the New Yorker. I'm not sure, but even she said, you know, going back and reexamining her role in those films, she feels very differently about it now than then. And I think that's a good way to, like, you know, we worked on a different script back then. And I think I use that phrase in the book that there's a social script that's changed. Um, the morals were always the same, but the script called for us to ignore them at times. And we just can't do that anymore. That's true. And I also think well, another thing I enjoy about, about your books in general is that there doesn't, there doesn't seem to be a need in, in your books to, uh, to have a white gaze on the characters. Like the, the characters stand alone um, in their in their communities, in their schools, um, and you don't feel like you don't feel like oh, um, or I don't feel like oh, I'm this white person spying on on black kids. I feel more like what you're writing could be universal for everybody, but there is uh, stuff for me to enjoy that I may never have encountered before. Is that, I, I don't know if I'm saying it right. I think I know what you're saying. I mean, it's just I am black and I write the experience I remember from being young and being with my friends. Not exactly, like I said, exaggeration, not an over-exaggeration, but I don't feel a need to like to filter that experience at all other than maybe maybe I don't curse as much in the book as we did when I was younger, that sort of thing. But otherwise, that's the way that's the way I grew up. That's the way me and my friends hang out. And it, I think it translates well to the page. And I think people see it and realize, hey, me and my friends hung out the same way. I don't know why I ever thought it would be different. I, I thought the, the cursing part was handled well because there was some in it. I never, never bothered me, but it was, it was maybe uh, a little bit downplayed so that you know, if some if some kid wanted to give it to his mom to read, and she was a little bit of like a church mom, she couldn't really get too aggravated by the language. So that was that was, but it wasn't like pure language that no kid ever would say either. So you caught a good medium between them. I mean, it's the truth of the matter to me. I think depending on the character, sometimes that that little bit of profanity really sells the point more than not. And I feel like if it's got to be in there, it's got to be in there. It's there for emphasis, you know, for the most yeah. part. That's why that's why I use it um, in all my Facebook posts and uh, most of my, <laughs> especially lately. So um, we may go a little bit over in time, but I wanted to do a reading because it was a part that I thought was really good. And since you're not feeling well and I'm feeling a little better, we'll let, how about if we let me do the reading? But can you set it up? This is an interesting part where Dell goes with his church book, uh, church group rather, to see, um, to a conference where he's, they're gonna hear people talk about um, sex education and how vital it is for uh, kids to get the right information. Sure. And first, thank you for giving me a break on reading it myself. <laughs> I'm barely holding my cough down, so I thank you. And the part that you're talking about, Dell and the Purity Pledgers have taken an unsanctioned trip to his sister's university to hear a popular YouTuber discuss her platform and how she just talks about sex and body stuff in a way that has really resonated with people all over the world. Okay, so I'm going to... Uh... 
I'm going to start here. 60 minutes went by in a breath. The professor did not waste time getting into the topics Jalen covered in her videos. Dating, sex, mental health. They touched everything, relating it back to Jalen's own tough background, an inner city kid whose parents worked so much she barely saw them. She always had questions and spent nearly every afternoon and evening at her local YMCA in the teen computer nook, researching any topic that came to mind, filling stacks of single subject notebooks with her finding. I had so many notebooks they formed teetering towers along one wall of my room. My big brother said I kept manifestos like a serial killer. Big laughs from the audience there. But what I had was an external brain. I couldn't keep all my thoughts and concerns and worries up here. She tapped her temple. They would have driven me insane. The professor leaned into Jalen, nodding. Fascinating. You were very young when you started the habit of writing it all down. Yes, maybe 10 or 11. But the professor cocked her head, intrigued. There came a point where your interest changed. Jalen caught the pass handily. Yes. When I began puberty, the top topics I worried about changed. Before that, I was concerned with music, puppies, science, basketball. Almost overnight, there was an urgent shift. I needed to know about the things my body was doing. Even though my mother made time to explain in the best way she knew how, it wasn't adequate. Why? because everything else I was hearing was wrong. Nothing was consistent. The correct information was vague. The incorrect information was abundant. The confusion was maddening and I spent all of my teen years in trial and error mode, navigating a sexual awakening minefield in snowshoes, if you will. No one should have to go through that. When I got to college on scholarship, I worked my butt off to get my first computer. When my parents saved up to give me a phone with a decent camera built in, I decided I'd trade in the notebooks for a video journal. My first entry was called Dorm Sex, which was a facetious title because I was really talking about the pros and cons of co-ed versus same-sex dorms. A friend dared me to post it. Within a few days, it had 50,000 views with requests for more. Now, 1.4 million subscribers later, you all know the rest. So I thought that was, Jalen is a great character. She's a video blogger, and um, she's very inf influential on Dell's sister, Cressy. But I thought um, you're covering all the misinformation that, um, that kids get, and the, the critical um, importance of them having a source for real information was, was really like an, uh, one of the important themes of the book. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in my research of what goes on in sex ed throughout America, I often found that there's so little consistency state to state, even school district to school district. But some kids have stumbled across very educational videos done by independent YouTubers. And it just occurred to me that when I was growing up, being exposed to so much misinformation, it would have been lovely to be able to just log on, find a trusted source and get real info. Well, now, the uh, thing is, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going the thing is, you know, sometimes you don't even know how to find that. And I wanted to speak to that. Like when these kids stumbled upon a real source of information, how much of a change it made for them. And, you know, I'm not going to spoil what happens afterwards, but even going as far as for them to seek that information out had severe repercussions that I don't think should exist. 
And I thought it was great that like Dell, uh, before they, they met the experts, Dell was kind of doing some searching around himself and um, was resourceful enough to, he was like the question man for all the, the kids on the, on the Purity Pledge team. Like they had a, a really good teacher who was helping them at first and then kind of got squelched. But I liked how Dell took the initiative of looking that information up himself for his friends who were like just too embarrassed or just didn't know where to go for the information. Every kid should have a Dell in, in their life. I call him the double agent. He's the only kid in that purity pledge whose parents gave him permission to take sex ed at their high school. And so he's able to get to stuff that they have, they have not had access to because most of their parents have cut off that access. And I, I just wanted to speak to that need to be able to ask someone your questions and get real answers. And to be able to ask a peer is really remarkable because, you know, like you said, you know, like Jalen says in the book, well, there was my mom, but, you know, she kind of, you know, you're embarrassed to talk to your parents about it and, you know, maybe even like a minister or even a teacher. But when it's your peers giving you good information, that's like golden. It is. There's um, a fantastic show on Netflix called Sex Education that covers very similar territory, um, probably in much more graphic detail than I got into in my <laughs> book. And so I tell anybody, like, if that, that's an excellent example of what it's like when a peer can provide facts for young people. All right. Well, Lamar, time's up, and uh, I know you need to get back to coughing and sneezing, as do I. So um, I'm so happy to have you with me again the fourth time. I know there'll be hopefully fifth and sixth, and I can't wait to see what you come out with next. But I know all of our viewers would really enjoy Not So Pure and Simple. So thanks for joining me today. Hey, thank you for having me. All right, Bookstew viewers. So uh, we, we managed to make it through 30 minutes without, uh, without sharing germs. So I hope you're feeling better than we are, and I hope you have a great day. <laughs>